God morning, dear saints. The Lord has given us another day to tune our heart to him, open our being to him, exercise our spirit, and just make clear, although he already knows you'd like to hear from us, that we are here on earth to do the will of God, to carry out whatever is in his heart concerning us. And we are learners, disciples, being trained to live in the reality of the kingdom of God. So that when the Lord comes to manifest this kingdom, we will be among those who are his wife, his army, and his co-kings. The subject <clears throat> of message two, I find very inspiring, endearing, uh, enlightening. The kingdom of God as the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus. When Brother Lee gave a message on this subject in the summer conference on the kingdom in 1972, the lights began to shine through the word ministry. There is an aspect of the reality of the kingdom that I had never known, it never occurred to me no matter how many times I had read through the Gospels. And so the main scripture reading there is in Mark, but I want to begin by reading a few verses from Matthew 16 and then leading into 17. In this chapter, the Lord had Ask the question, whom do men say that I am? And the disciples mentioned certain things that were said. Then he asked them, what would you say? And as we know, Peter received the revelation from the Father that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then the Lord spoke to him. He said, upon this rock, this revelation, I will build my church. Then the Lord spoke about his need to, to suffer, to be put to death and resurrected. And then he instructed his disciples that if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross, deny yourself. And follow me and be willing to lose your soul life for my sake as you are following me. Then in verse 27, he went on to speak about the glory of his coming again. For the Son of Man is to come <clears throat> in the glory of his Father with his angels. 
and then he will repay each man according to his doings. Truly, I say to you, there are some of those standing here who shall by no means taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now we're in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain privately. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shined like the sun. And his garments became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to him, conversing with him. Then down to verse 5, while Peter was still speaking. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my son, the beloved, in whom I have found my delight. Hear him. The focal point here is that Jesus told the disciples, Some of you who are standing right here with me, you will not taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The natural and common interpretation of this is that these disciples will be alive when the Lord Jesus is crucified and resurrected. And then while they're still alive, they will see him coming again with and in his kingdom. But actually, that is not the correct understanding. There's the connection between verse 28 and verse 2. I say again in verse 28, they will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, this was the Lord's thought. We know his thought from what is recorded in the next chapter. He realized the ones standing there were Peter, James, and John. And they would see him in the kingdom several days from now when he will lead them up high in a mountain. And then he will be transfigured and his face will be shining like the sun. How did this happen? The glory of his divinity was concealed within the shell of his humanity. But the Lord then said, 
you will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Then the glory in him for a brief period of time became visible. It was manifested in his physical body. What he would look like in resurrection. That is why he told the disciples, don't talk about this until I have been resurrected from the dead. So now the Lord, his garments are bright white. The glory is shining. And his face is shining like the sun. This is a brief picture in miniature of the Son of Man coming in the glory of his kingdom. That is why we can say there's an aspect of the kingdom of God as the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus. This thought is very difficult for the natural mind to grasp especially if there's a lot of religious concepts there. Because the concept is <clears throat> only in the future could we ever see this. But the Lord, for some reason, decided, I will give these three disciples of mine a glimpse of my inner being of the glory within me, of what the whole earth will see when I come in glory. This will be an open manifestation when he comes to the earth. Like Malachi 5.2 says, he will shine like the sun. He will come and shine. And so what we're trying to grasp is, and this will be very experiential, that when the Lord led those disciples up to the top of the mountain and was transfigured before them and his glory was shining, he gave them a brief glimpse of what it will be like when he comes fully glorified with his bridal army. And so those verses plus Mark chapter 9, and it's worthwhile that I read 9 through chapter 1, 9 through 13. So that we see a broader picture. And then we can go through the outline and see how it applies to us as we are learning to live in the reality of the kingdom. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some of those standing here who shall by no means taste death until they see the kingdom of God having come in power. 
And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up alone into a high mountain privately. And he was transfigured before them. And his garments became sparkling, exceedingly white, such as no fuller on earth could whiten them. And Elijah with Moses appeared to them, and they were conversing with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer. And they had become exceedingly frightened. And a cloud appeared overshadowing them. And a voice came out of the cloud, this is my son, the beloved, hear him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone, but Jesus only with them. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he ordered them not to relate to anyone the things which they had seen, except when the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And they kept the word, discussing among themselves what the rising from the dead was. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does indeed come first and restore all things. And now it is written that it is of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be counted as nothing. But I tell you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did to him the things which they wished, even as it is written of him. So this is the context. The Lord is on his way to Jerusalem. In the eyes, especially of the religious leaders, he will be counted as nothing. He will be crucified, according to 1 Peter 3, in his empowered, in, in the empowered spirit of his divinity. He will descend into the abyss after he died and proclaim his victory through the evil powers that are bound there. And on the third day, he was resurrected. We know from Romans 6. He was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, and his humanity was uplifted into the divine sonship, and he is now the Lord of glory. When he comes, what those disciples saw for a brief time will be the fulfillment of that uh, brief introduction. He may say, in a sense, to the earth, here I come, the desire of the nations. The age is about to turn. Human government is over. I will establish the kingdom on the earth. And these are my co-kings. I will shine like the sun. And they will also shine like the sun as they're ruling. And the underlying thought here 
is that the kingdom of God and the glory of God are actually inseparable. The Lord will be openly glorified when the kingdom is manifested. That is why in the prayer concerning this, we pray for God's will to be done, for the kingdom to come, and we conclude by saying the glory, all the glory is to the Lord. And to show that this link between glory and kingdom is applicable to us, we need to read one verse from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We didn't realize this. I certainly did not realize it when I was saved or even for some years afterward. That when the gospel reached me and I responded to it and believed in the Lord, God was calling me into the kingdom and into the glory. This is our destiny. This is our destiny. Our eternal destiny. When John saw the vision of the new Jerusalem, the wife of the lamb, the first thing he said was, she's filled with the glory of God. Since the kingdom of God and the glory of God are inseparable, and since we have been born into the kingdom of God as the realm of the divine life, and through this life, we experience the reality of the kingdom. We will eventually, simultaneously, behold the Lord's glory. I say again, kingdom and glory go together. We are in the kingdom. According to John 3, we are in the kingdom of God as the realm of the divine life. Now we need to advance to realize there is not only life here, there is glory. The king is the king of glory. Then inwardly, we begin to experience this. And Paul made this very clear in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He said, we all with unveiled face, 
beholding and reflecting of the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This verse undeniably indicates that right now in our Christian life, in our church life, we are not only learning to live in the kingdom, we are in the realm of glory in the sense that the king, the glory is shining in the face of the Lord Jesus. But just as the reality of the kingdom is inward, it's expressed in our living, but it's not identified yet as the kingdom. The same holds true with being called into glory. So what I'm saying here is that what Peter, James, and John experienced on the mountain, we may in principle and in essence experience the same thing inwardly. Remember the point last night? That when we were regenerated, the king and the kingdom came into us. The king and the kingdom came into us. And just so the king and the kingdom came into us. Now we're seeing an aspect of the kingdom. He's glorious. He's radiant. He's shining. We can turn our heart to him and behold his face. And in 2 Corinthians 4, that speaks of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's either around verse 6, 5 or 6. And now we connect that with 3.18. Inwardly, we turn our heart to the Lord. The veil is lifted. We behold and we reflect the glory of the Lord. The more we behold, the more we're transformed into his image to fulfill Romans 8.29. And we are being transformed from glory to glory. So we're about to turn to the outline now. And I would point out this. In principle. And in essence. What those three disciples saw on the mountain. What they experienced. We may now experience spiritually. Inwardly in our life with the Lord. In his second epistle, in chapter one, Peter referred to that marvelous experience 
on the mountain when he saw Jesus transfigured. But then th this is what he did next. He pointed us to the word of God. Chapter 1, verse 19. And he said, you need to take heed to the prophetic scriptures. Take heed to them. As a lamp shining in a dark place. And this applies to the whole word. It's spirit and life. Take heed to it. Absorb it, assimilated it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then the verse goes on to say, keep under the shining of the lamp until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. This is an inward experience. We know from Revelation 2 and 22, the Lord, when he comes to rapture the overcomers, he will become inwardly to them as the morning star. When he comes with the overcomers openly, he will be the bright sun. So that verse in 2 Peter, 119 confirms experientially what we're saying about the transfiguration of Christ, the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus, is an aspect of the kingdom. And we now have the opportunity, once we have some spiritual understanding, and exercise in a very simple way, turning our heart to the Lord. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.16, whenever the heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now we behold and reflect the glory of the Lord because the one we are beholding in our spirit is the king with his kingdom. And in addition to the exercise of our spirit, we take in the prophetic word of God, especially in this critical time. We're nearing the end of the age. And these, this word will be a lamp shining in a dark place, not only into the world, but shining in us until there's no darkness left. And then inwardly, we'll have the sense a new day is dawning. The Lord is coming. The kingdom is coming. And I can sense the morning star. And so what we'll cover in the outline is not only an opening to an aspect of our Christian life, it also helps us prepare 
for the Lord's coming. I don't want to see him merely as the son of righteousness. Like you, I want to see him inwardly as the morning star. So now we come to this rather short outline. But the substance is some very significant. Point one, very direct. The kingdom of God is the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus. We are speaking about the reality of the kingdom as a realm of life. And now we're saying, based upon the verses I read, that the kingdom of God is the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus, as we saw in the verses. Now we need to experience this inwardly. We need to begin to know the transfigured Jesus. Just as Paul said, turning to him, beholding and reflecting him. Point two says, what is described in Mark 9, 1 through 13, is a picture of the kingdom of God coming in power. The center of this picture is the glorified Jesus. And with him are Moses and Elijah, representing the Old Testament saints, and Peter, James, and John, representing the New Testament saints. This is a miniature of the kingdom. The Old Testament saints, the overcomers there, the New Testament saints, the overcomers here with the glorified Jesus, that is the manifestation of the kingdom. We just want to say again and again, the kingdom of God is the glorified Jesus, the transfigured Jesus. Point three, for the Lord Jesus to be transfigured meant that his humanity was saturated and permeated with his divinity. This transfiguration, which was his glorification, was equal to his coming in his kingdom. When God sent his son, when the son came as God, the word becoming flesh, 
the only begotten Son of God, came, put on humanity, and as a result, he became the Son of Man. He brought God into man, divinity into humanity. When the Lord was resurrected, the spirit of his divinity saturated and permeated his humanity, glorifying it. That is why, I repeat, the Lord instructed the disciples not to talk about what they had seen. He knew they could have been very excited to say, guess what we saw on the mountain? And then who knows what would spread? And they obeyed him. Do not talk about this. Until the Son of Man is resurrected. Why? Because it is through his resurrection that the Son of Man would be glorified. Remember in John 17, when the Lord is praying that marvelous prayer. He began by saying, Father, glorify your Son with the glory that he had before the foundation of the world. Father, in the Godhead, I had the eternal glory as the eternal son. But now I am the son of man, about to die and be resurrected. Lord, glorify your son. The Bible is just a wonderful, amazing book. Then we read on. In addition to Romans 6, Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. We read Acts 3, and you'll find it there if you consult. God, uh, the speaker, puts together the thought of resurrection with God glorified his son by raising him from the dead. This was, in essence, the transfiguration of the humanity of Jesus because when he was incarnated, he was the complete God. He is the Son of God. He is God. He could say of himself, I am. But outwardly, he was a very common person. Raised up in poverty in a despised region, worked as a carpenter. No one would ever think he was a God-man, that God was in him. That's because his humanity was a shell containing the glory of his divinity inwardly. It came out momentarily on the mountain, but then in resurrection, it came forth permanently 
So now he has a glorified humanity. That is what we mean by transfiguration. We, as believers in our soul, are being transformed from glory to glory. Then when the Lord comes for us, our physical body will be transfigured. Read Philippians 3. It will be glorified. We'll have a body just like the Lord. And then also, our sonship will be visible. Now, if you would walk into a public place, you want to get some coffee, and you come to the counter, the person's one that taking, wants to take your order, and you said, good morning. I want you to know I am a son of God. You are looking at a son of God. Well, surely there would not be a positive reaction. You might think this person is not sound mentally. How can they be a son of God? Well, in the kingdom, the co-kings will not have to say to those over whom they are ruling, just realize we're sons of God. They will be manifested. That's mentioned in Romans 8. They will be manifested. So there, there was the glimpse of this transfiguration on the mountain. The accomplishment of the transfiguration through resurrection. And when the Lord, when he comes, he will come in this glory. But he will not come alone. He will come with his wife, who is also his army. And she will match him in every way. She will have the bright, radiant garment. She will be glorified. She will be the perfect match. And Christ with his warrior bride will then descend to the earth, deal with the enemy in the battle of Armageddon, abolish human government, then manifest the kingdom on the earth. I repeat from last night, what will be manifested then is the reality that's developing now. And it's not difficult to enter into the reality of beholding and reflecting the transfigured, glorified Jesus. Paul tells us. Just turn your heart, open your being. He's in you. Right now, he's in you. We all, we do this corporately. You can do it right now, corporately. Beholding and reflecting the glory of the Lord. 
But now we understand something new. That shining glory is the direct ruling of God. God is ruling inwardly by shining, shining. The more we're under his shining, the more we are under his direct rule. Now the sub points under three. The Lord's word in verse one about the coming of the kingdom of God in power was fulfilled by his transfiguration on the mountain. B, the transfiguration, the shining of the Lord Jesus was his coming in his kingdom. Where his transfiguration is, there is the coming of the kingdom. So in our developing experience, when we behold the Lord in his transfiguration, by beholding his glory, we are not only living in the reality of the kingdom under the direct rule, there will be produced in us the sense, the feeling, the anticipation for his coming again in glory to the earth. And there's just something rising up within us. Lord, come. Come and claim to the earth that is yours. B says, the transfiguration. Okay, I went into under B. For the Lord Jesus to be transfigured meant that his humanity was saturated and permeated with his divinity. This transfiguration, which was his glorification, was equal to his coming in his kingdom. Technically, that's a mistake I repeated, Roman numeral three and one, but maybe it's a helpful mistake uh, because it, it kind of strengthens the point. This is the central thought here. Saturated and permeated with his divinity. And this takes place in us as we are living in the reality of the kingdom. The New Testament, all the portions fit together beautifully. We are becoming poor in spirit, pure in heart. We seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. We are learning to be under the direct rule of God in the kingdom, allowing his life flow through our being. Now we can behold and reflect the transfigured Jesus, the glorified king. And little by little, our soul is being saturated 
and permeated with divinity. That's transformation. Totally different from self-improvement, going from good to be better. No, the soul is the organ of expression. The Christ who dwells in our spirit needs to be expressed through our soul. In order for us to express him through our soul, our soul needs to be saturated with him. So even in ordinary things, in our daily life, in our work, in interacting with people, when we are walking according to the spirit, the Lord is being expressed through our soul, through the people around us. And eventually many can testify. They, after a period of time, they just sense there's something special about this woman here, this man here. And they become like gospel friends. You might have lunch with them or coffee during a break. And they ask you, and this is the time when you help another human being be born of God and enter into the kingdom, into the family of God. Uh, point two, under B, the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus was the realization of what he is. I repeat, we know from Isaiah 53 that the Lord's physical appearance was really not what would be regarded as attractive. I'm so glad he became this kind of human, like the vast majority of people. He wasn't naturally handsome or gorgeous or beautiful. And he worked as a carpenter. But when he was 12, even 12, as he was growing humanly, <clears throat> along with that, his spiritual realization was increasing. And he said, I must be in my, uh, in my father's house. I must care for my father's interests. He realized at that age, 12, this is on the human side here. He's the son of God. Then when his parents found him, he went home and lived in subjection to them. He was a boy, 12 years old. Then when he began his ministry, he didn't walk into a synagogue and say, I want you to know that I, Jesus from Nazareth, 
am the only begotten son of God. Actually, you read the Gospel of John. This was the main reason the religionists killed him. They said this man dared to say that he is the son of God. That is blasphemy. And when he was on the cross, remember this? In the first three hours, people would come and blaspheme him and mock him and say, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. We will believe you. Then they said, he saved others. He can't save himself. Even there on the cross, he would not come down. Suppose he did, and he pulled the nails out and came down from the cross. A miracle. I'm so glad he didn't do that. Instead, what he was remained hidden so that he could die for us and bear our sins on the cross so that we could be saved, redeemed. He released the divine life. But in resurrection, still for a limited number, they saw him. And Saul of Tarsus, whom we know as Peter, saw the glorious, resurrected, ascended Jesus Christ. And now throughout the earth, there's untold blasphemy, cursing, rebellion against God. But we know from Revelation 1, verse 8, the Lord will come on the cloud and the whole earth will know who he is because he will come as the transfigured Jesus, the glorified Lord Jesus, with his transfigured and glorified bridal army. What a radical change that will make all over the earth. C, this is very helpful, this point C. The kingdom is the shining of the reality of the Lord Jesus. To be under his shining is to be in the kingdom. If just one point, either of what I've been saying or on this outline, would stay with you, you will be blessed. And I will be encouraged. And the Lord will be happy. I read this again. The kingdom is the shining of the reality of the Lord Jesus. 
before this reality can shine through us, it must first shine in us. And this is now very personal. No one can do this on behalf of someone else. We can help others understand this, but it's the spirit of reality who will guide us all into reality. That reality includes the reality of the kingdom. And specifically, as we're talking about now, the kingdom as the shining of the reality. And now we're not only in the reality, and we're learning to live in the reality. Now we're beginning to see that when we live in the reality of the kingdom, we live under the shining of the transfigured Jesus. So the more we are in the reality, the more we're under the shining, and the more we're under the shining, the more we're in the reality. To be under his shining is to be in the kingdom. God himself is light. Is light. In him is no darkness at all. First John 1 John 1.7 If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul said, once you were darkness, you were darkness. Throughout this country, the talking heads on the media, all over the place, they are not only in darkness, they are darkness. But Paul went on to say, but now you are light in the Lord. You are light. Your being is intrinsically changing. You were darkness. Now you are light, not in yourself, but in the Lord. And we know the Lord said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. But we also know that in Matthew 5, he said to us, the kingdom people, you are the light of the world. You. So this matter of the shining Jesus is to me one of the most precious experiences we can have on an ongoing basis, day after day, turn our heart to the Lord, open our being, apply him in faith as the reality of all the offerings, and then we behold and reflect his glory. Then this glory shines, 
And here we are in the reality of the kingdom. Now in section four, we view this transfiguration from another side. And that is, we know from other portions in the gospel that in his ministry, the Lord came as a sower, sowing seeds abundantly. And the seeds fell on different kinds of soil. But on the good soil, the seed could develop. Well, the seed is the word of God, which means also God as the word is sown into us. So all of us have a seed. And when Brother Lee spoke about this, he used the example of a flower. The seed is sown. It's in the ground. No one knows it's there. Then it grows underground and above ground. And then it's quite fully grown. And then there are buds. The buds of the flower, but they're closed. And I don't know anything about flowers to identify them. But eventually, the goal of the seed is to blossom. Just beautifully blossom. And we'll see from this section, the kingdom seed has been sown into us. Now it is developing, it's growing inwardly as we are exercising to receive the divine dispensing and to live under the shining. But eventually that bud will blossom. We will blossom when we are raptured. But this is another way of understanding the transfiguration. There once was a seed. Then a process took place to a plant, a flower, a rose bush. And then how beautiful it is to see the blossoming. Okay, point four, Christ has been sown into our hearts as a seed. This seed will grow and develop until it blossoms and is manifested in glory. In Mark 9, we see the transfiguration of Christ as the seed sown in Mark, Mark 4. So the seed is sown in Mark 4. That seed is Christ in the word. Then in Mark 9, we see that seed transfigured. It happened to the Lord. It will happen to us. B, the one whom we have received as the seed of the kingdom of God 
needs to grow in us until he blossoms from within us. Grow in us until he blossoms from within us. This blossoming will be the transfiguration of the Lord in us in a practical, experiential way. And at this juncture, uh, we may say that there are two ways of understanding this blossoming. The ultimate will be a blossoming will be when our body is transfigured and the glory within us saturates our whole being. And we are among those who come with the Lord of glory. But now, inwardly and experientially, there is growing, maturing, budding, and blossoming. And one thing that is so delightful and encouraging, uh, I haven't been able to fly around the earth lately, but for 25 years, maybe 10 or 11 international flights a year, plus a number of domestic flights. It's so encouraging to see someone you haven't seen for several years. And there, there's a blossoming taking place. Of course, there are many situations where, honestly, there's no growth, no blossoming. But I want to emphasize the positive side. Today, let today be a day of seed growing in us. Lord, today, grant us a normal day's worth of growth, whatever that is. We don't want artificial flowers, right? That can be produced in a short time. They're counterfeits. The reality is organic. It's living. It develops gradually. We need to discern the difference. We're not taking the way of anything artificial. We are living in the reality, the reality of the kingdom. See, when Christ is transfigured within us, that transfiguration becomes the kingdom of God ruling over everything in our life. When Christ is transfigured within us. Okay, I'm very limited, I think, any brother would be limited 
to how much we can explain this. I have no doubt that when Brother Lee was ministering along this line, his words were supported by his personal experience. That is why he could present such a message. And we are learning the same. And I would just suggest something simple again. Bring this to the Lord. I know to the mind it can be quite perplexing or hard to grasp. But we should pray, Lord, you, you have sown yourself as a seed into me. Lord, grow and blossom. I want to experience the transfigured Jesus inwardly. Lord, inwardly, let me go with you on the mountain. Let me behold you in glory, like Paul said. And I'm still praying, Lord. Uh, I'm hearing this for the first time. I'm trying to grasp it. How you can be transfigured within me. And that transfiguration becomes the kingdom. But Lord, I just have the sense in my spirit. This is true. This is real. Make it real to me, please. Make all these points on this outline experientially real to me. And he will. There are very few prayers like that offered to him, I assure you, he will gladly, in, the, in a very wise way, respond to your prayer. D, the church as the kingdom of God cannot exist in the natural life, but can exist only in this realm of transfiguration. This means that in a particular local church, if a significant number of brothers and sisters experience this inward transfiguration of the Lord Jesus, they get ready for this. That church will be transfigured. Yes, in a, in a, developing way, but still it will be evident, especially to visitors, in particular, the visiting co-workers. You just see something has been taking place here, not just in this brother or that sister, but in the church as a whole. And then, one realizes they paid the price. They paid the price for this because they followed the sequence in the Lord's speaking. He said, 
You need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And follow me even if it causes suffering in your soul. You love me, you want to follow me. So when you have to make a choice of having some worldly enjoyment or letting that go because I'm calling you, leading you to do this, you are willing to lose that natural enjoyment for my sake. And he also said, for the gospel's sake. It is this kind of believer who can truly experience the transfiguration. Because in Matthew 16, what is the sequence? Christ revealed the truth concerning the church taught. Christ's word concerning his suffering, death, and resurrection. Christ's teaching concerning denying the self, taking up the cross, and following him at whatever cost it is to your soul life. These are the ones, spiritually speaking, in whose life he will be transfigured. They will see the transfigured Jesus. The kingdom life is not sheep. We are seeking first the kingdom of God. It's first. I cannot dwell on this matter. I need to draw this to an end. I really enjoy hearing your confirming words. But to live in this realm, it's a blessing, it's enjoyment, it's wonderful, but there's a price. And only those who are willing to pay whatever the price is in following the Lord, they will go through the entire sequence. And there will be this cycle, revelation, Christ, church, cross, transfiguration. This is just part of, of a life cycle. So I need to be faithful to you and let you know when we pray to experience the transfigured Jesus, he will answer this prayer by leading us through all the prior steps. We need more spiritual understanding of who he is. We need to know what the church is according to God and to be, and to be in the church. Be willing to deny the self and pay the price because we love the Lord and we have a vision governing us. Then this will issue in transfiguration of Jesus within us.
that brings in more light, more shining. Then the cycle continues, more understanding of Christ, church, cross, transfiguration. Okay, point E, and now we're coming to the end. At the time of the manifestation of the kingdom, our humanity will be glorified by the glorious divinity within us. That time will come. When Christ fully lives himself out of us, that will be the time of his coming. So from God's point of view, the more we allow him to live through us, when he sees that taking place corporately and sufficiently, that will be the time when he raptures the overcomers. And three and a half years later, he will return with them as the king of glory. And the last point, in the millennium, the overcoming believers will be with Christ in the bright glory of the kingdom. Bright glory of the kingdom. There will be more light even in the environment that this earth has ever seen. And the whole environment will be blessed, will thrive. That's outward and physical. That will be the manifestation. But I conclude this way. In order to participate in the manifestation of the kingdom and with its glory, we need to learn to truly be a humble learner, to learn to live in the reality of the kingdom of God. And that is the burden of this little conference, is to encourage the saints to advance in their understanding of the truth concerning the kingdom and the kingdom life, and to be supplied and guided and helped to live in the reality of the kingdom. And in the church life, we uphold one another, we bear one another, we love one another, we pray for one another, we wash one another's feet, spiritually speaking, and we go on together. But in order to have a corporate pursuit, there must be the personal pursuit. As I'm bringing this to an end, I have the sense, at least to some extent, that in the Lord's heart is a deep longing for us and his recovery in the churches to learn of him, to live in the reality of the kingdom. And as a result, be with him for the manifestation of the kingdom. 
Thank the Lord. May his hand follow his word. May the anointing spirit move in you. May the spirit of reality guide you more and more into the reality of the kingdom of God. Okay? My part is done. Your time.